Welcome to the Forthright Women podcast, where we're dedicated to revealing what keeps women leaders successful and sane. We address challenges like being an executive mom, enabling more women to rise, and fueling our own minds, bodies, and spirits. These conversations are unapologetically real, insightful, and from forthright women themselves. Let's do it. Hello, forthright women. This episode you're about to hear originally aired on our other podcast, Marketing Smarts. We thought this community would appreciate it too, as it contains rich and relevant insights to help keep all of you female leaders successful and sane. So let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about personal branding characteristics that hold back aspiring female leaders. As a leader, your image and reputation are paramount in order to command the respect you need to influence up, down, and sideways. But certain personal brand characteristics can result in behaviors and actions that can actually undermine and sabotage your personal brand. And note that characteristics make us who we are cannot be changed. We've talked about this on other personal branding episodes. And we've also said that they are also neither good nor bad. They just are who you are. But the way that they present themselves in certain situations can lead to behaviors and actions that can either work to benefit or against your ability to sell your brand, which in this case is you. And this is equally true for males and females, but there are certain personal brand characteristics that show up more consistently in females that can lead to significant challenges as they strive to become strong female leaders. Yes. So we're going to highlight four that we see most often as well as what we are calling counter-triggers, and that's the term that we at Forthright People use, for addressing tendencies that may not move you towards your goals. So there are simple actions you can take to counter your natural tendencies that happen when your characteristics, which we've said you cannot change, are triggered in a way that doesn't move you toward your goals. And a disclaimer... Anne and I, as you know, are not trained medical professionals, so we're not Mm -hmm. giving you that kind of advice here, but we have that 35 years of collective combined experience, so we're speaking from our insider perspective and that experience. Yes. So let's jump into personal branding characteristics that hold back female leaders. All right. The first one is caregiver. Now, there's a general expectation on females and actually still by females, and sometimes we can be our our own worst enemy, to nurture and care for all of those around us, right? It's just one of those traditional female characteristics that we haven't quite evolved from yet, despite the fact that us as a society is becoming more progressive and share responsibility, which we do believe is true. But this shows up in two ways for aspiring female leaders, this this caregiver characteristic. One is those who really exhibit this caregiver characteristic tend to like avoid conflict, right? They just don't like conflict. Or on the other side of the coin, they need to make sure everybody is happy or that they're people pleasers in general. And the thing that they miss here is that respectful conflict is actually really, really good. You need that on your team in order to get that thought diversity and to be able to be breaking through that paralyzing politeness that we talk about. So you can get to the best ideas, the best solutions, and get to those the most quickly. But many tend to resort to artificial means of forcing harmony, like what me and April like just choke on, which is the forced <laughs> fun. Like we just can't stand that. But that tends to be the, the the tendency that a lot of female aspiring leaders do when they just don't feel comfortable when there's like conflict or there's there's dissension, right? The other way that this shows up is an inability to say no. 
And this is all about putting people's objectives and goals ahead of your own because they need you. There's, a, there's that feeling that caregiver loves to feel needed. And whether it's at work with your boss or a coworker or a member of your team or a client or at home with your friends, family, other parents, school organizations, you name it, it all kind of comes into play here. And the feeling that we get from that is guilt, right? Guilt plays very, very strongly here, and females seem to be the most susceptible to it. And then what happens is that you tend to overextend your time and energy and you spend yourself really, really, really thin, okay? Now, for a female leader, too, this is further exacerbated by the weight of trailblazing. And it is just so, so true, and we need to recognize that. That can be very emotionally and physically exhausting to continue to raise up and then continue to raise everybody up underneath you. So we totally recognize that, and that is really starts to, to build that caregiver feelings of of being spread very thin and being emotionally and physically exhausted. So the counter trigger here is that we really, really believe that you need to become and practice being a vigilant leader. And we have a podcast on this, and we really, really want you to listen to this and and, and really go to the worksheets because it's actually going to help you with all the four characteristics we're going to talk about today. And what it really is going to do is going to help you balance your time and energy by helping you empower your team to be more autonomous. And this is going to work and really, really help because sometimes, you know, the caregiver attitude also leads you to be a micromanager. <laughs> it's like overcaring, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's overcoddling. And you don't want to do that, too. So also listen to the episodes we uh, call Four Elements of a Strong Workplace Culture and Four Ways to Create a Highly Functional Corporate Agency Team. This helps you actually establish a framework for facilitating that respectful debate as well. So you get this full picture of vigilant leadership. And we just did a lot of plugs there for ourselves. But I think the point we're making here and the density of this episode is to do a few things. One, it is to draw attention to those personalities that just inherently are, again, who people are, but how to channel them in an appropriate way to really be strong leaders at work and in life and all those things that Anne just talked about, but then also other resources for things that can help you manage those tendencies Mm -hmm. when they come up. Because in this one specifically, right, we tend to spread ourselves too thin and then don't have the tools to get back out of that or to even fully understand and areas where we could back out. And so Mm -hmm. I think the point here of us referring you to other tools is this is a dense episode. It requires a lot of work on the part of those willing to really do it, but we do have the resources to help. Right. I think that's really, really well said. So our second personal brand characteristic that holds back aspiring female leaders is empathetic. April, you want to take this one? Yes, and I will take this, and Anne is always pointing out to me in life of where I'm being a little too empathetic. (laughs) There's a reason why I gave you this one. (laughs) So this is going to be perhaps, I guess, well, it's targeted to me and also, I guess, intended to be therapeutic and to reinforce some messages that Anne gives me. Uh But in any case, so empathy can be a really powerful characteristic because it does aid in collaboration and negotiation when you're trying to get to a win-win for everyone. And I would say that on my best days, this is actually what I use this characteristic for. Mm -hmm. And I think it also allows you to see more deeply what's going on in the room. And all of that can be a really good thing for female leaders. 
But where it's not so good, which I was alluding to this before, maybe <laughs> saying pretty directly, is when you're so empathetic to other people's situations that you put it ahead of your own self-worth, but also impact or ability to lead in the situations. And that doesn't do any good for anyone that's working with you, whether they're on your team or they're a coworker. And this really shows up specifically when you can't hold people accountable because when they come in with the excuse of, you know, my dog got off the leash or I didn't have time to help out my grandma this weekend, so I took her this morning to the grocery store or, you know, they're constantly late, but, oh, you know, they do so much good in the company and they're a great fit and so we're just going to kind of let that go. It really allows and even excuses in a lot of instances bad behavior. And that can really lead to detriment in the team. It can lead to more bad behavior. It can lead to people walking all over you to thinking they can get away with whatever or even animosity for people that don't do that but see others getting away with it. So the first thing you need to do when we talk about the counter trigger is remember, this is still a business. It's not personal. So you have to toe the line as the leader in the business and make sure that goals and objectives are being met so that the business is successful, which benefits everyone, including you. We are not saying that that means you need to be heartless. And I will also say that this is something I tried to counteract this behavior in my career of where I was just like, okay, fine, I'm going to have no patience for any flexibility whatsoever. And that's not a good outcome either. So we're not saying you don't have to be heart. You have to be heartless. You can't be flexible. There are definitely things that come up. And if you have a strong team and you know people who they really are, you're going to know when things are coming up and when to excuse things. But you also, on the other side of the coin, have to be really responsible and put the onus on those people on your team that they have to manage themselves and their personal lives in order to be a performer in the business that they work in. And, you know, sometimes this is letting people go if it doesn't work. Sometimes it's additional training. But as the manager and with this highly empathetic characteristic, you have to learn to be forthright and state what needs to happen and also what cannot happen so that things aren't sliding that then puts you in a much bigger situation, problem area, et cetera, because you didn't manage it from the beginning. Yeah, I think that's those are really good suggestions. And I'll just build on that because I think um, also by not letting these things slide, you set up the precedence that there are some sort of consequences for their behavior and action. You're not necessarily going to be reprimanding them, but, you know, to let them know, hey, when you didn't deliver this on time, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. Right. Or when you say, "Okay, I get that something happened today, but you know what? This I'm going to let it go this time because I know that this is happening. Or I know you're a consistently good performer and this doesn't happen all the time. But, you know, I really need you to do this in the future in order to avoid whatever is going on. Mm-hmm. So be proact- more proactive in your conversation or have a backup or whatever that it needs to happen in order for it to not happen again next time. Don't just let it go. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you want to be gracious and let it go, don't just hold that in. Make sure that other person knows that you're being gracious and this is why you're being gracious and what the intentionality is behind that so that they can have the right context and mindset for like, um, well, 
how much can I get away with, you yes. know, you know, and versus, okay, well, I know I got called out on this. This did not go unnoticed. And so therefore, this is what I need to do in the, in the future in order to make sure that I'm being mindful of my team. I'm being mindful of my business and I'm being mindful of my leader. Yeah, it's a gift in the instance. It's not a permanent allowance. Exactly. It's a really good point. All right. So the third personal branding characteristic that holds back aspiring female leaders is fairness advocate. Right now, it seems that females over index in the expectation that everything should be fair. I have seen it a lot. Males just don't seem to have that same expectation, they just don't. Because even at an early age, it seems like there's this innate desire for supremacy, and you'd see it on the school playgrounds, you see it in school in general, and just in competition for grades, you see it on athletic fields. I mean, now you even see it in like video gaming, right? It's just a highly, highly energized place where there's an expectation that there's winners and there's losers. So I better be able to take my place. There's no expectation that it has to be fair. Now, females, on the other hand, tend to kind of grow up with that expectation that if they're good girls and they do what they're supposed to do, they will get rewarded. And you could definitely see this take shape in the business world, too, where aspiring female leaders may struggle to recognize and play the game of business. And this really limits their ability to rise up to leadership roles because they believe if they do a good job, then they're just going to be rewarded for that. Like the work, quote unquote, speaks for themselves. So there's no really big reason for them to overly promote themselves. There's no big reason for them to highly network. It just It's just going to happen because if I'm good, then it's going to happen. But most men just don't see it this way. They see business as a game. They jump in. They are in, in the effort to like actually learn it and master it, and they use the self-promotion and strategic networking to their benefit because they want to win. So the mindset shift here, and then this is what you need to think about from the counter-trigger, is that it is a game, all right? And it, you can't expect that it's going to be fair, and you're probably going to need a business coach that's going to help you see this blind spot. And your business coach can be male or female, but they have to give you that forthright just feedback in order for you to kind of see where you may not be seeing that 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 um, this fairness piece playing out in the way that you expect it to play. And when you're in situations where this characteristic gets triggered and you feel that something isn't fair, take a second to reflect on what is going on beneath the surface, because that is where the game is being played. So ask yourself, what does this other person have going for him or her that I don't? And then what is it about the situation that resulting in this not going in my favor? And then start working against it and then get in the game. You may not like the reality of it, but that is the game. Yeah, and I want to emphasize a point and really give an example of a conversation that I was just having the other day, which is the emphasis on finding the business coach that is going to, yes, help you identify the blind spot, but also give you the forthright feedback so that you can action against it. Because I think that there are instances in business where you you know, like Ann just said, that there are things going on and someone's beating you or passing you and you're scratching your head thinking, what the heck can I do? But this person I was in conversation with the other day had gone to three different women within her organization and 
ask the question first, did you observe this happening, Mm -hmm. right? And they all confirmed that, yes, they saw it happening. But then they quickly tried to brush it under the rug and pat the person on the back and say it's okay versus really offering advice and solutions that were going to lead to proactive change and management of this type of behavior. And I think that That is really critical. And actually, the other person didn't see that that was what was going on until I pointed it out to them. Right. Mm. It was like just because you got the confirmation that something is happening, then you don't go build an agenda to figure out how to make a change that is going to result in someone else getting blamed for something or that you're going to go to a boss or supervisor or elevate something that is actually characteristics within you. And then unfortunately, those other folks did you a disservice because they didn't help you see the clarity of what actually was going on in this situation. So I think having someone that is going to be direct and give you the straight observations or solutions then of how to work against it, you just got to be careful in who you choose to go to for that kind of advice. Yeah, we have a good in the trenches question later that's going to get to that a little bit more, but that's really good perspective to share because it happens a lot. And it's a lot of times because people just don't feel comfortable giving the feedback. Mm -hmm. And again, if you're a caregiver or you're overly empathetic, you want to make the person feel better versus you want to give them the direct feedback that's going to help them. And, you know, the the one thing that people have to realize, especially female leaders, is you're not doing anybody any favors by not giving them the direct feedback. Nope. All right. The fourth personal branding characteristic that holds back aspiring female leaders is humble. April. All right. I will take this one. And in this instance, I think... The unfortunate thing here is that a lot of times the way this manifests is that the females will do a really good job of promoting their team, but they won't do a really good job of promoting themselves because Mm -hmm. and it, it does kind of like some of these build on each other. Right. So the thing we talked about before around, you know, put your head down, do the work, be good and people will notice you. That's part of this one as well. And it's because they just don't feel justified in taking the credit. So they'll promote other people on the team or they'll push really hard for someone on their team to get promoted or get the recognition or whatever. But then what happens is they end up being overlooked themselves. So the other side of this is what happens is when this is recognized, then they'll go to the other extreme, which is to act more like the male counterparts because, as we said, they don't have some of these tendencies oftentimes, and that's a generalization, but, you know, we've seen it predominantly. So what they'll do is try to mimic, right, that whole fake it till you make it. Well, this person's doing well, Mm -hmm. so I will just adopt their personality and try to be like them. And because that's not actually who they are and because of what assertiveness can mean in men versus women, then you get characterized as some not-so-nice words, including the B word, potentially. Mm-hmm. And so that can be a tough place to come back from, for sure. But the point of all of this is to make sure that you do the work to work in favor of the characteristics you naturally have And not go to the point of becoming an egomaniac or trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, only look out for yourself or go to that other extreme of acting like your male counterparts, all of those types of things. 
this is not the right behavior for you. So the counter trigger we suggest here is a shift in mindset that ego can be a motivator for success and should be embraced, but through who you are as a person, certainly, and not abused to that egomania. All strong leaders have a sense of ego, but there's definitely a spectrum and there's also going too far in the spectrum. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And the way that I like to think about this, because I've seen this go really, really wrong, especially with a couple of the bosses I've had, where um, then they're so afraid, especially if they have the alpha female syndrome, like where there's only like one mm-hmm. female that can be in these leadership positions, that they tend to then throw people underneath the bus. They tend to, you know, they won't admit that they're wrong. And that's just like leads to more disaster because of the fact that it just has cascading results on the actual business and Mm -hmm. what you're trying to deliver. And if you're not delivering the work at the end of the day, I mean, nobody looks good. Yeah. And so what I like to always like think about is like, let your ego drive you to be the best leader you can be. Like, let that be your ego driven intention, because like you said, April, it helps you to embrace all your characteristics in a really productive way that not only allows you to shine in the context of your leadership abilities and the ability to, to be able to, um, to to direct your team, but also has this the, the right mindset of how to really raise your team and, and, and profile your team in the context of that so everybody wins and everybody yeah. looks good. Yep, exactly. All right. So just to summarize the personal branded characteristics that hold back aspiring female leaders, caregiver. So this is the general expectation on females and by females to nurture and care for all those around them. So really think about becoming a vigilant leader, help you to balance your time and energy by empowering your team to be more autonomous. The second is empathetic. So females tend to be more empathetic to other people's situations, and in many cases, more than their own. So you really need to adjust your mindset that it is impersonal, it is business, and then act accordingly. The third is fairness advocate. Females over-index in the expectation that everything should be fair. So look for a business coach that can help you work through this blind spot, but also analyze these situations when they come up for the underlying game. Then the fourth is humble. Females have a tendency to be overly humble, underplaying their accomplishments and skills. So shift your mindset to really embrace your ego focus in that in that ego focus being being the best leader that you can be. All right. Our next segment is the in the trenches. We're going to give real world examples. And this is going to get very interesting <laughs> because we're going to pull examples from our experiences and our backgrounds. And so hopefully you'll be able to see then how this plays out in, in the world that we've been a part of and that you can then apply it to yourself and, and at least drive some awareness and, and, and then some action around your own personal brand. All right. The first in the trenches question. I know what you're saying about playing the game, but sometimes things just aren't fair and there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> what then? All right. And loves this one. That's my, my favorite. I told you I, we're going to have this one. We're going to revisit <laughs> this one. All right. So... My first point that I always make here, and April does this as well, and this is kind of our forthright nature, is don't play the victim. Yep. Does right? nobody any good, Doesn't, including you. Exactly. I mean, this, and this is the natural tendency, right? And, and it's natural to feel that way if you've been feeling wrong. It's about everybody else out there. It's everybody else's fault why I'm not doing this. And you're not taking the responsibility for the fact that it is within your control. And when you can take that responsibility back, you get your power back. And when you get your power back, 
you can take action. If you stay in this victim mentality, you'll never be able to take action because you're going to expect everybody else to make it happen for you. And that's just never going to happen. And then second is there's always something you can do about it. You just need to decide your tolerance level. But you have to realize that most of the time you don't get to choose the rules of the game. So you need to decide either you're going to play the game or you're going to get off the court. And I'll give my example here. And I believe I've given this example before because it actually plays across many, many uh, situations that we've talked about. But this was when I was up for promotion. And I was told because of one poor meeting where I didn't show up real well that I just was not a happy person. And like I said, happy purple don't get promoted to PNG. So I, understanding that and understanding that that was a situation that I was in, I could have very easily said, you know what, and give them two bit of middle fingers. I'm like, I'm just who I am. And you guys didn't realize this. And that's on you. And it just isn't fair. I, I totally could have done that. And I might have done that for a brief, like, couple minutes. <laughs> couple <laughs> or days. Maybe, or maybe a couple of days. Like, <laughs> I probably solved. But then it was like, you know what, I either have to deal with the feedback and the reality of the situation, or I need to figure out what I'm going to do either with the rest of my career, P&G, or I'm going to leave. I mean, th- those are really the choices. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah, what's your tolerance level? I decided that I was going to play the game. So what I did was I spent the next six months and I was a happy person. I showed my boss I could be a happy person. I was the one that was basically courting my boss around when she used to, when she came to the U.S. And that was my job for six months. And it worked. Um, then she saw a different side of me. She saw that I was a happy person. I got promoted. That was the game. Now, you could say I was a sellout. Fine. But you know what? I chose to play the game. Those were the rules of the game. I got what I wanted. I continued down my path. So that is the mindset shift you have to see that, you know, you're, you're, there's a difference in figuring out how to play the game. And I know, April, you had some perspective on this one, too. Yeah. And, and for me, it was what Anne was just saying about perceiving being a sellout or all those types of things. I needed to go undergo a mindset shift when it came to playing the game. Because I think that what I actually observed a lot of times in agency life, and because we have so few few HR protocols and rules and behavior checks and all of that, you know, it's, it's meant to be fun and creative and et cetera, et cetera, that I was observing bad behavior when it came to playing the game. So I was seeing mm-hmm. people doing things that they really shouldn't have been doing or acting inauthentically or diverting attention for their own agenda, you know, all of these types of things. And so... What I had to learn was that playing the game had a different definition and that what I was seeing actually were bad examples of playing the game and that I needed to create my own way of doing it. And so all the things we're talking about here, right, you can't change your characteristics. But what I found was an ability to channel my characteristics, empathy being one of the main ones, in order to play my own game which meant getting really good at managing interactions with people to the benefit of all involved. And sometimes, you know, that did result in me playing therapist, which wasn't always fun, (laughs) or mediator, those types of things. But it was more about manipulating the pieces in a non-manipulative way, according to my brain, that allowed me to realize that There was a game. I needed to admit that there was, but that I could play it on my terms. And when I did all of that and really maneuvered my behaviors and actions resulting from that, my career skyrocketed. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was just it like happened so fast. It was like I had stagnated 
I was frustrated. I couldn't move up a level. I saw other people being promoted. I felt like they were doing bad things to get there. But once I just said, you know, like Ann said, this is part of the business that I'm in. This is part of business in general. And I can either become savvier and do it in a way I feel okay about, or I can opt out. Yeah, I think that's a really good example. And I think you you highlighted nicely the balance of playing a game, but not like being ruthless or undermining (laughs) in the way that you're doing. And it's not an attempt to and and it's not this is this is not the okay that you get to be manipulative and you get to be like, you know, mean to people and you get to undermine people. I mean, this is not what we're saying. And I like that you said that you did it in your own way. You figured out how to play on your own terms. Because still, like karma's karma. I'm mm-hmm. like, I mean, people totally who are agree. doing it inauthentically and they're playing a game and they're not playing it very well, they will be benched. It will happen. It happens like a hundred percent of the time. So don't worry about them. Worry about yourself. Um, and and worry about how you want to show up. But if there is something that is actually truly unethical or illegal going on. Please report that. That is not the game that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like you should not be put into a situation where you feel like you're compromising your values or putting being put in a situation that makes you feel very uncomfortable in order to play the game. So just want to make sure that everybody's hearing that very, very clearly. All right. The second in the trenches question. I am one of those who really struggles to hold people accountable. Can you give me a more specific example of how to be more assertive? April. Yes. And Ann and I have actually been having this conversation recently because the new Mm -hmm. manifestation of requested feedback based on COVID and work environments is either how do I as an employee make sure I'm seen if I'm not in the office or how do I as a leader and manager manage people who are in both situations, right? Some Mm -hmm. are here, some are not. And I think that this is tricky because we're entering yet another transition. And so everyone is having to reorient their mindsets about work and then also work to figure out how it works moving forward. Um, But what I would say here is that overall, one of the great things I think that has come out of COVID is that we've all become more human. And what that's allowed is for people to be a little less polished and perfect, right? So dogs barking on calls, kids being around, not putting on your makeup before you join said calls, all of those types of things, right? And that's great. And I really, really hope, and this is my soapbox, that it doesn't go back to the other direction Mm -hmm. or worse because I love that about what has happened. The other part of that, though, is being human doesn't mean not holding people accountable. And so I think as a, a manager and a leader, a lot of the things about being proactive and holding people to that level of accountability means you have to build in practices for your team and expectations that make everyone very clear on what is expected of them, what their job is, because again, this is a business, and what it means to step over the line or underperform. And so what what that looks like is there needs to be regular check-ins with your team. And this is true whether they're there in the office or they're not. You can't just ignore the people that are at home mm-hmm. because they're at home. You can't give all your attention to the folks that are in the office because they're in the office. Everyone should have equal and ample time with you. Now, there are situations where sometimes someone gets more versus another, those types of things. But ultimately, whether it's weekly, whether it's biweekly, whatever works for you, I think anything less then biweekly is not good because it doesn't allow for the continuous conversation loop. And it also makes feedback harder to take and more disruptive. Um, But I I really think you've got to make sure that you're having those regular touch bases so there can be feedback and also the ability for you to hear what's going on with the other folks. On the other side of that, I will say 
we are all adults and we need to be act we need to act as such and expect to be treated as such and this is an office so whether the person's office is at home or it's in the office or it's a hybrid or whatever the case might be that still applies you're expected to get your job done and i think this is where the humanity actually needs to go so if you have someone that's underperforming on your team then that needs to be addressed and they need to be held accountable to whatever behavior you expect. And yes, this can be tricky and hard, but again, if you have regular touch bases, regular opportunity to receive feedback, to give feedback, that loop is open and ongoing no matter where people are, then this shouldn't be so hard anymore because it should be a regular practice for all of the people on the team. But it also ensures that no one's getting away with anything, regardless of where they physically are. Yeah, it is all really, really good feedback. And I think this is where making sure the the parameters and the principles of your culture yep. are set are so important. Yep. Because that becomes the filter by which you can have these conversations. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to feel so personal. And because a lot of people are like, oh, I just feel like, you know, I'm attacking the person. It's like, well, you're not attacking the person if you're referring to it and you're filtering um, the the conversation through the cultural expectation. Right. Right. And then the other piece of that is also the deliverable set. Yes. You know, it's like, okay, if if something needs to be delivered, you know, I'm not going to watch you 24 (laughs) seven, especially if you're at home, like. Because that's where the tendency become the micromanaging tendency comes from. But if you're not delivering, then we're going to have to have a conversation about that. Yeah. But a lot of times it's like, hey, as long as you're delivering, the quality of work's good. I mean, it's kind of what I say about my kids. I'm like, I look at their grades every Friday if they're getting A's and, you know, or we get close to them. I'm like, uh, well, I, I don't care if you're doing your homework in front of the TV. I don't care if you're, you know, whatever you're doing. If, as long as you're meeting the goals mm-hmm. that we set out for you, then However you choose to do it, you choose to do it. Go to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning as long as you're getting up for school when you're supposed to and you're not grouchy and, you know, pain in the butt. So, I mean, think about it, like, in terms of, like, kind of letting go of some of the how and just making sure whatever the the what is mm-hmm. is being delivered and, and making sure it's being delivered in the way that's conducive in, uh, to the culture of the entire team. Very good point. All right. Our third in the trenches question, what do you mean by take credit in context of your team? All right, so this is <laughs> You actually, like this one too. <laughs> I do. I love my little simple statement because I feel like it really helps to internalize and gives you guys something actionable to use in order to make this like hopefully super simple. And this statement looks something like, I am leading the insert your team or work that will deliver insert your impact and in, in, in then whatever, whoever the recipient is, of the work is. So it looks like, I mean, give me an example. I am leading the marketing team to develop a social strategy that is intended to increase our, our business leads by 2x. It's kind of what people call this like your elevator pitch. Like if you were stuck with your boss in the elevator for like, you know, 10 seconds and they say, what do you do? You don't say, I'm a marketing manager. I'm in, you know, in this group or whatever. You can you, you frame it up in a context that actually makes them wanting more. Mm-hmm. And, and they say, well, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Tell me more about this. But what this does nicely is it sets up your role and then it also puts it in context of what your team is delivering and then the impact on the business all together into a nice little bow. April, you, have, you want to give an example of this one? Yeah. So another one would be I'm responsible for six and a half million dollars on one account made up of X team members, you know, giving them credit and knowing that they're part of the team that all contribute to a 90 percent plus rating from the client year over year. So that's our internal ranking and 10% growth of the client's business for the next five years. 
So that's a high goal. But, um, (laughs) you know, I think one of the really important things is to balance the impact on the team and the expectation of the team with what you're going to then deliver to the client. Because if you don't have both of those things, and that's the reason we always give quantifiable measurements, Mm -hmm. right? But you heard both of us talk about acknowledgement of what we're doing for our business and our team and then what we're doing for the client. And having components of both are really important. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And And these will show up in, like we said, the conversations, the elevator pitches. They show up on your whatever... We called it our, our our rocks or whatever your deliverables are mm-hmm. or, uh, or your assessments are um, as you go through your reviews. I mean, you can use these in multiple different places. And maybe it sounds initially as a little bit rehearsed, but it definitely is going to have an impact. So we suggest you guys embrace it. Try it. See how it feels. And I, and I guarantee you, you guys will get more of a reaction than if you were just to say, oh, well, you know, I just I, I, I work in you know this group and I lead this team and we're doing some really phenomenal work. And <laughs> it just starts to feel very convoluted. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's the humbleness playing. You know, you guys you guys hear it. I know you hear it. <laughs> Um, everybody's like, get out of my head, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me and he brought those conversations a lot. Yes, we do. Um, all right. So the fourth in the trenches question, I find the politics exhausting in my work environment. Yeah. Who does not? Um, is there any way to make it better? April. Oh, I feel like this is going to be a therapy session for me a little bit. I feel like <laughs> right. I'll sit back uh, and relax. So oh, my gosh. Go. <laughs> I've been getting this question from like so many angles lately, like. Personal people in my life, people we coach professionally, some of our Mm -hmm. clients, and I've also had my fair share here. So I think what happens to people is that they feel powerless in the situations that relate to politics, especially if they're not the leader, like CEO level, executive level, et cetera, et cetera. And so there becomes this mindset of I just have to put up with it because it's not starting with me or coming from me. It's part of the culture of the organization and it's coming from the top. And I would say that's 100% not true. And Mm -hmm. I think that what can happen is you can lead by example. And I'm a big fan of making change and then asking for forgiveness versus asking permission to do things like this, because you're going to get a no, I think, a lot of times if you ask, because there's not a clear, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this when you present it to management. But you can make powerful and impactful change on your team, even if there's situations going on in the office. So what I will say here is define your own reality Take a hard look at where that political nature is permeating your team and doing your team no service, and then work to build in the infrastructure and the things we've been talking about throughout this episode where your team has a different reality from the rest of the organization. And I will speak from an example where I was coming into an organization I was the black sheep in the agency. I was coming from a different type of agency, a different experience set, all of those types of things. And I was put in a leadership position and a unique one where I was able to hire and build a lot of my own team from the beginning. 
but then did inherit, have to supplement, you know, pull from different things, make concessions, all of that kind of stuff. But what I did right on the onset was set the expectations for my team, emphasize how they were different from some of the stuff that was going on in the organization that even though I was part of it, I didn't necessarily like or agree with, and then set out to manage those behaviors and make sure that people were, like we've said, we had the marching orders, we had the plan, everyone was held accountable. Yes, there was flexibility based on person and their need and what level they were and all of those things, but there were rules that did not flex and that became my team. And what that led to was us being able to lead by example. And so that's what I mean about asking permission and getting shut down because these are, you know, ego-fueled conversations. There's ways that things have been done for a long time. People don't like to be told that you don't like something that they may or may not be doing, all of that kind of stuff. So in this instance, we were able to get the praise and see the results that then other people started to get curious and start asking questions. Mm-hmm. So it was like, huh, that's working really well over there. That team's not working a million hours. They seem to really like each other. They function well. Everyone has a place I want to be part of that team or leadership. I want to learn more about that. And then the dollars follow in these situations, right? So our margins were far better. We were selling more organic business. The people on my team were able to be open to other possibilities to learn cross-functionally from other teams because they had more time since they weren't participating in politics. A lot of really good things started to happen. And so from there, that allowed me and several of the members of my team to step into advocate positions to change the overall way that we performed and acted as business people, honestly, against the culture of the environment because other people wanted what we had and they saw the results that were coming from it. And so I think while we – okay, this wasn't like – I'm seeing rose-colored glasses a little bit, right? And I feel like people are going to call me on that a little bit. So it's not perfect. It doesn't happen overnight. You still have your naysayers. I mean, I remember someone saying to me, well, you just have the best members of the team and that's why yours is functioning so well. Or you have the highest performers or you just happened to make this happen, right? It's not a product of what you or they did. That happens too. But at the end of the day, we had a pretty solid case study for the way that we believed it should be done right. We all were really bought into it. And ultimately, it led to a really good period of hiring the right people in the organization, letting go of people that didn't necessarily make sense, bringing on the right clients. And so that's always my advice and my pushback. You know, Anne said before, don't play the victim or don't roll over and take it. I I think that's this is one of those situations where – If you can carve out your own reality and live that most of the day, then that's at least a lot, right? A lot of your day is spent with your team. But then overall, often we see it happen organizationally too. Yeah, I I think that's great. I love the idea of living your reality. I want to build because – on what you were saying, because I want everybody to realize that you didn't do this in a vacuum. You weren't, <laughs> no. Yeah, you weren't just like, okay, I'm just going to set up our walls Very and we're fair. just going to operate and we're not going to like involve anybody. And this is where you know, we say you need to really identify who your thought leaders are, yep. your stakeholders are, and your influencers. All right. So that's how you play the politics game in a much more streamlined way. Yes. 
and you get those people on board. And that's not like the whole entire world, you guys. This is just these are certain people that you have identified that are going to help you forward your mission and kind of keep you out of trouble while yes. you're kind of like doing what you need to go do um, and, and, and trying to insulate your team from, you know, all the the politics, quote unquote, that are happening. Right. So but I think also what you got to realize is that the higher you rise up, the more politics you have to face. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and that's becomes a big part of the job is that you're managing up. And you're being able to then insulate your team from having to deal with the politics so you can deliver good work. If you're not prepared to to, to deal with the politics and you really need to consider how far up you want to move. Yeah. And, really good point. Yeah. Because, I mean, that and, and, and I think it's also fair to say, too, that you don't need to be anointed a leader in order to be a leader. Yes. So, you know, that that can happen at any level, depending on how much exposure that you want and where you want to put yourself in with regards to positioning yourself on the way up. So you just need to be prepared for these things and realize these things are happening. And like, like we said, there's always a choice. If you don't want to deal with politics, that is fine. Mm-hmm. You don't have to deal with politics, but you shouldn't expect then to rise to the highest ranks in your company because the people who rise to the highest ranks figure out how to manage the politics, maybe not in a way that's like, overwhelming like i love the like what you said about the reality but you're smart about how you do it mm-hmm. right you know and so it's it's just part of again playing the game but you do it in this in this way that feels like you took the control you took the power and that it was what what worked for you yeah and i, I think i want to emphasize the point that no i was not doing this in a vacuum and we still were responsible for working with the other teams in the organization. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good point to make. I think it's more that we took control of the things that we could manage within the world we were in, still performed the job expectations, but worked to make everything work a lot better. And then that's when it started to exhibit itself with the organization. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. All right. So that's our In the Trenches section. And our third and final segment is usually a real world example of a brand is doing this well or not well, but that doesn't really apply here. So instead, we wanted to offer you more resources that could immediately help you here. And this is by um, a a lot of requests and demand of of our clients who are looking for more help and and more like autonomous help. Like they want to be able to go someplace and get some of this information in a little bit more of a comprehensive format that they can just go and apply immediately and try it for themselves. So we're launching the Marketing Smarts Marketplace. And our very first module we're going to have is on vigilant leadership. Since we made such a big deal of it, we thought that was a really good one to start with. So this is going to be packed full of tools that you can use in order to really start cultivating in practicing being a vigilant leader. So you're going to see some assessments. You're also going to see some from some formats for how to start thinking through this and then how to actually structure your team accordingly. So it's going to be very affordable. It's going to be jam-packed full of really, really good, useful knowledge. And then, of course, if you're still struggling, you can reach out to us and we can you know, continue to coach you as you're going through it. But it allows you to take some accountability and some responsibility for you know maybe trying it yourself. All right. So just to summarize the personal branding characteristics that hold back aspiring female leaders. The first is caregiver. This is the general expectation on females and by females to nurture and care for all those around them. Really go to that marketing smarts marketplace and and start becoming and practicing vigilant leadership. It's going to be really, really, really helpful for you. The second is empathetic. 
Females tend to be more empathetic to other people's situations, in many cases, more than their own. So really need to adjust your mindset that it isn't personal, it is business, and then act accordingly. Third is fairness advocate. Females over-index and the expectation everything should be fair. Look for a business coach that's going to really help you work through this blind spot, but then also pay attention to these situations when they come up and really look for the underlying game and then get in the game. And the final one is humble. Females have a tendency to be overly humble, underplaying their accomplishments and skills. So shift your mindset, focus on really embracing your ego, but in, in, in a way that you want to be the best leader that you can be. Being a forthright woman can be challenging on a good day which is why we offer individual group coaching as well as group trainings and keynotes. Check out our website, forthright-women.com to learn more. If you find this podcast of value, please rate and review us and share with other women who could use a boost to become a forthright woman.